Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is October the 24th, 2023. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco, although I'm excited next month, at the beginning of the month on December 1, I'm in Barcelona. Um, I'm working with uh, the Santa Monica Museum there, a very interesting museum, on organizing a conference about AI and creativity and art. We're putting out a manifesto of what artists should and shouldn't do in terms of AI, and that's a particularly important uh, question today when it comes not just to writers, but to artists. My guest today on the show uh, is already involved in a, a court case on the rights and wrongs of uh, digital art and AI. Carla, art, Carla Ortiz is a concept artist. She's based up the road from me uh, in Soma in San Francisco. Uh, and she's been in the news recently in terms of uh, a case which she and some other artists are bringing against a couple of, uh, of the new AI companies um on what rights and wrongs uh ai these ai companies should have one of them is stable diffusion another is mid journey but i don't want to steal carla's thunder carla tell us what this case is all about well before you do that introduce um my audience to to, to your work as a as a concept artist what you've been doing and then perhaps we can get on to the case itself Certainly, and thank you for having me here, Andrew. Um, so my name is Carla Ortiz. I am a concept artist. My full uh, title is that of a concept artist, illustrator, and a fine artist. Um, in particular, when it comes to concept art, it's work that is done for either film or video games very early on before anything is constructed, uh, someone has to envision what something looks like. And that's basically my role. Um, I've worked in projects such as Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Loki 1 and 2, Black Panther, um, Rogue One, pretty much most Marvel movies in the last eight years I've worked in, but predominantly I'm mostly known for my work on Doctor Strange. The, the, first and the second movie yeah, but my, primarily my the first one is going to be very envious of me uh, <laughs> i even got to meet you so um as you say you're a concept artist you've worked yes. with uh games tv covers games, fine art, TV. Uh, the, uh, what, what exactly do you do what is a concept artist so again um the best way to describe a concept artist is like let's take for example chewbacca for example Chewbacca starts first as a little blurb on a, you know, script, a description of what that character could be. Rather than send that to modelers, to costume designers, you send that to a painter or, an, or a draftsman or someone who draws and paints mm. that visual. And that visual allows a director or a producer or whoever's in charge to say, oh, this is it, or let's explore other venues. And you engage in this game of hot and cold um, with your visuals until you have a visual that really represents who the character is. And then that's sent to inspire the rest of the team. And that job um, is really a pivotal one in the Hollywood film pipeline, uh, especially more big blockbusters, BFX heavy shows. 
Um, we'll tackle anything from character design, costume design, prop design, environment uh, design, even keyframes. So big moments of the film. That's something that I I also specialize in. It's a really fun job. <laughs> no, and I know a lot of, uh, a lot of our audience, especially younger people in the audience, would would love this job. So essentially, you you build on other people's art. Is that a fair way of putting it? Mm, not really. Well, uh, you, some, you, you're, an in, you're an artistic some, innovator. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. I, Because I, sometimes it just really depends because sometimes you'll go into a production. There's no script. Uh, there's hardly even an idea of what a character could be or what a, you know, something could be. And you just kind of have to throw and say, ah, oh, here are my ideas. And sometimes that can really heavily influence a production. Um, sometimes we work with writers. Sometimes, uh, you know, that, that, so in that, in that aspect, yeah, sometimes we do work with writers. Um, but it's, it's just, it's very varied. It really depends on the project. It's, it's hard to pinpoint and say, this is how it right. exactly and, is. And, and of course, writers are themselves involved in a, in a huge Oh, yeah. Lawsuit now against OpenAI, a number of very well-known authors, including George Martin and, J and Jody Picoult. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the case. When did you realize that, at least in your mind, your, your work, your art, your all-too-human production was being stolen by this machine learning platform? Yeah. Um, so I became aware of generative AI somewhere around April 2023. Um, I was going on the internet and I had found a place called Weird Wonderful AI Art. Um, it was really curious to me because I saw a whole list of quote unquote artist studies with names of peers of mine in the illustration realm that I knew quite well. And I thought, this is curious, what is this? Um, found out it was generative AI and I reached out to my friends being like, wow, are you part of this new study? What's going on? They had no idea what I was talking about. Um, so we reach out to the people who are running this test, who were, of course, uh, selling merchandise that looked suspiciously like, you know, the stuff that they were studying. And we asked, hey, these artists don't want to be a part of this. Like, please take it down. Um, they ghosted us entirely. Fast forward to August and September of 2022, and essentially, this is when Midjourney and Stable Diffusion comes to explode. So I'm like, I'm going to research again, and I was horrified to find out that you know through my research, my almost the entirety of my personal fine artwork, which is the stuff that I own, because most of the work that I do for concept artists is envisioned to other companies. I don't necessarily own that, but my own personal fine artwork, um, almost all of it was in those data sets. And then to step further, um, you know, AI companies were basically encouraging their users to utilize our names and reputation. And my name had been used like at that time, like thousands of times. I know, and, and uh, you talk about the almost 6 billion images, which mm -hmm. companies like Mid Journey yeah. and Stable Diffusion have quote unquote, taken, stolen, appropriated, borrowed, whatever words you want to describe. Yeah. Um, is that, and I don't want to get into the legal case, neither of us are lawyers, but is that, <laughs> yeah. is that legal? I mean, isn't that part of the public yeah. information that, that, that it's simply an idea which they can take and put into their engine for guardrails as a, as a learning platform? Oh, if that were so, that would be so convenient for them. <laughs> But it isn't. Um, you just cannot take 
copyrighted works um, or just works in general like that, you know. And it's not just, I think it's important for people to understand that this isn't just about copyrighted works. There's also private medical information in those data sets. Uh, Ars Technica reported last September that medical records were found, at last September 2022, mm. uh, that medical records were found. There's not consensual porn in there. There's like horrible violence in there. There's even like people's faces in there. My own personal profile picture is in those data sets. And again, all of this was taken without our consent. There's no credit, there's no compensation. And we only know about just one of these data sets because they're transparent about what they have. We don't know about the data sets that other companies, like for example, OpenAI or Adobe, they're not releasing what they're trained on. Mm. And so Very it's impossible. Training, but yeah. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, we can go online and, and find your photo. I, I went to, <laughs> I went to Mid Journey, uh, Carla, and mm -hmm. I entered um, Carla Ortiz on Andrew Keen's Keenon show in the style of Carla Ortiz. Mm -hmm. and for people watching, we have an image of a, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's Carla, but uh, maybe a Carla lookalike in a, in, a, in a slinky blue dress on a red <laughs> statue. Uh, and uh, on a stable diffusion, actually, I got an interesting. Uh, I asked for Keenan podcast show and Andrew Keen and Carla Ortiz. As it happens, I got, I think, Carla, but I got somebody more looking like uh, Donald Trump than myself. Oh, it, no. It in, in all seriousness, <laughs> Carla, I mean, your photo's online. I mean, anyone can look up uh, to, to research this show. I, I looked up Carla mm -hmm. Ortiz and I found out quite a lot about you. So, yeah. what's the difference between mid-journey or stable diffusion putting Carla Ortiz's photo her image uh in in their system as opposed to the way in which if you go on Google you can just Google Carla Ortiz yeah that's a great question it's all comes to profit it really does when you Google Carla Ortiz right you well and as it shows us on the your generations, you'll see a lot of different Carlo Ortiz's. So you gotta be specific. It's gotta be art, concept art, and so on. But when you Google Carlo Ortiz art, you'll find my website. You will see my information. You'll see my work. You'll right. see the services that I offer. You'll find ways on how to contact me. That allows me to advertise who I am. That allows me to advertise my services. That allows me to gain employment. When a company like Midjourney or Stability AI, and we're not talking about the training data set just yet, because that in itself has its own myriad of issues. But when we're talking about these companies allowing us, you know, users to use our name, they're essentially taking us out of the equation entirely by allowing people to generate imagery that looks like ours by using a reputation and essentially saying, hey, we're not going to pay Carla anything. We're not going to give Carla even credit, but we are going to take that subscription fee for every single time you generate something. So it's a matter of essentially the way things are used, you can 100%, you know, ask a person at individual capacity, look at the work that artists like myself have put out. We want you to look at it. But what you cannot do is take our work and profit from it without our consent. That's essentially it. So is this really, and you've, you've had a lot of press, a lot of interesting press, 
KQED described you and 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 the fellow and your and your fellow artists involved in this case as fighting back against AI companies for repurposing their work. Um, uh, the San Francisco local press is pretty sympathetic. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter um, believes that a reckoning over AI looms in association with your case. Are you? Is it really an economic argument? Are you suggesting that every time a, a mid-journey or a stable diffusion puts any image or creativity of Carla Ortiz into their training data, that you should get a, a, a piece of the action in economic terms? <laughs> I mean, I'm not even getting there. I don't even like... I don't think it's even a matter of just that. I think it's a matter of following procedure and following essentially laws and consent. Basically, in every single industry that relies on imagery, that relies on working with copyrighted works, that relies on, hey, I need to use this from an artist, you have to follow the right procedure to make sure that you have the rights to use that work from that artist. Because an artist should have the ability to say whether they want to be a part of this or not. An artist should be saying, hey, I want to be part of this new technology, or hey, I do not want to be a part of this new technology. Like, for example, myself, I can't make that choice for other artists. But for myself, I don't want to be a part of generative AI, period. I personally find it as something that takes my work Whatever they pay me will be peanuts in comparison to the overall, you know, money that I can make through a long, lengthy career. And then they take my work, make things that kind of look like my work to then compete in our own markets. That's not something I want to be a part of. But they took away that choice by saying, hey, all this works, all these data, all this information, everything that you see online, whether it's copyrighted, where it's private, where it's biometric, we're going to grab that. And we're going to make models for profit. And we're not going to ask you about it. You don't get any credit. You don't get any compensation. It's, it's, an, it's absolutely absurd. Sounds to me, in the way you're putting it, Carla, as if, at least in your mind, it's just outright theft. They're stealing yeah. your stuff. I feel that way, yes. We are speaking with Carla Ortiz, who certainly doesn't mince her words or her <laughs> images. She's one of San Francisco's leading concept artists. She has a very cool job, although I think in broad terms, she sees her profession coming under threat from the new technologies of generative AI. Uh, Carla, the, the, the word in San Francisco, and you're in South Market, so you know lots of tech people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the word that the tech people use is disintermediation. They believe that they're making it easier to access the creativity and the uniqueness of, artists like Carla Ortiz. Is that just another word, a euphemism for wholesale theft? Absolutely. That's just marketing. That's nonsense. A, a lot of, uh, and I haven't heard that particular term. That one's new to me. Um, uh, the other one that is often said is democratization. Yeah, and, that's another one. And then in fact, you, yeah. uh, you write about democratization. Yeah. I feel like that's just absolutely ridiculous that is trying to just sell you a product and say hey listen this shiny product is the answer to all these things you've always wanted to be creative here it is yeah and actually <laughs> you had a piece literally... in the chronicle 
uh, in which um, uh, and the headline is no teaching AI to copy an artist style isn't democratization it's theft it is and when we talk about what really broke barriers what really and by the way I got a loud cat so apologies if you hear her um, when we talk about what's really really democratization it was the internet it was open access to the internet because it allowed people all over the world to not only share their work but also learn together like <laughs> there is no barrier to entry to learning how to paint. There is no barrier to entry to learning how to draw. The only thing that stops you is whether you want to do it or not. That's about it. Now, when we talk about these models, though, like these models essentially are just saying, hey, we're going to sell you this shiny product. Don't ask how it's made. Don't ask who gets thrown under the bus so that we can have this instant gratification. What is essentially, in my perspective, is just like a, a statistical photo blender. Like, here you go. And it just, it really infuriates me, this entitlement where it's like, no, my work isn't yours to do as you wish. The work of artists isn't yours to do as you wish. And no, you cannot compete in our own markets with work that is meant to mimic us using our names. It's no, 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 no. <laughs> I personally don't like it. And and I also think they put their customers at risk as well. Um, these models do showcase to um, what they call basically just like hyperfitting or not no not overfitting sorry that's a different term but basically these models have been proven to essentially generate exact copies of you know copyrighted works i think about a percentage of like 1.8 percent and i think this was the university of new york not too long ago um and we see this over and over and over and there's like what 5.8 billion text and image data pairs so when you utilize these models there's a percentage that you might get a copyrighted image right back you just don't know it not to mention you can't copyright a you know generative ai image so yeah that was a very long-winded response to say yeah no i think it's nonsense <laughs> all right so what about business models as we all know my business model i'm pretty upfront on it is i'm sponsored by uh, liberties a quarterly journal of culture and politics they pay to be on this show although i like them a lot and i read them i'm gonna run a short ad for liberties and then we'll be back with carla ortiz one of san francisco's most outspoken critics of generative AI and its impact on the creative community. I want to talk uh, to Carla about what we're actually going to do, not just in terms of suing these companies, but addressing this crisis, which some people see as a crisis of not just of the artistic community, but of civilization. So be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas, it's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with uh, Carla Ortiz, a concept artist in San Francisco, who's taking on big tech. She is putting 
her money where her mouth is or her mouth where her money is. Um, <laughs> and what's interesting, I think, Carla, I, I, I want to talk explicitly about this, is that these are not small companies. You mentioned oh. democratization. And these companies have always presented themselves as David slaying Goliath. But mid-journey, stable diffusion, open AI, these are massively financed companies supported by enormous venture capitalists tooling up on their lawyers. And uh, I don't know the financial details of Carla Ortiz, but I'm guessing that you don't have the financial resources of a company like OpenAI. Is that one of the problems and issues now? I certainly do not have the financial resources of OpenAI, that's for sure. I mean, they've been valued, Carla, and probably I don't need to tell you this. Oh, yeah. The latest round, uh, they've been valued. This is a company that's still private. It doesn't even have a business model. It's losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year. They've been valued at over $100 billion. So they're hiring some of the top lawyers in the world to support them in court. Of course, because they know that a lot of their models are based on ill-gotten data. How like, lawyers? I mean, what would you say to a lawyer who perhaps is working for OpenAI? What would you say? Are they, are they doing <laughs> The, the work of the devil, in a sense? I'd say that you should look for someone else if your morality is something you care about. Yeah, I think it's an important uh, yeah. message. And and how are you financing your... How, how are you able to, to stand <laughs> up to these huge companies? So that's the beauty of a class action lawsuit. We don't finance it. Um, I wouldn't be able to go against, you know, some of these giants, <laughs> you know. So the way that a class action suit works, and I might butcher a little bit, and let me please refrain, I am not a lawyer at all, <laughs> like, no. at all, at all. I'm just learning here. But Maybe we'll call you a concept lawyer. A co no, no, not even that. <laughs> That's too much credit, <laughs> but thank you. Um, so essentially the way a class action works is that, you know, it grabs together people who have the same issue, people who wouldn't necessarily be able to seek legal action on their own due to resources, etc. And it says, we're going to represent these people and we're, you know, they don't pay, we don't pay, the, the, defend, and the plaintiffs don't pay, uh, the defendants do, but the plaintiffs don't pay. Um, and the lawyers, uh, they get their payment later on via any settlement. So if we win, our lawyers get paid. And if we don't, then, but I feel really confident about it. So uh, Carla, we were introduced by a mutual friend, Neil Turkowitz. Neil yeah. and I have known each other for years. He and I were in the trenches together <laughs> over Napster and the, the stealing of the online music companies against traditional artists. And um, Neil believes, I think, that things are really bad, that this is in some ways a threat, yeah. a civilization threat. Do you agree with him? I mean, it's obviously a threat to creative artists like yourself. But in a broader sense, is there a, a bigger warning here about this AI world that's coming into being? Yeah, I do. I agree with Neil. I mean, I'll answer in two parts. I'll answer the right now and then I'll answer my thoughts on the dystopian future if it goes that route. Right now, we're already being impacted. Like, I am a part of my industry. I really 
keep in touch with a lot of different sectors of my industry, whether they're organizations that represent my industry, whether it's like schools, groups, and so on, and individuals themselves, and everybody, everybody in my industry, from the student who has just started out to the legendary veterans that you never expect, everybody has already been impacted by generative AI, whether it has meant, you know, their initial offers for internship rescinded, whether it has been directors reaching out and saying, hey, veteran artist who has worked over 20, 30 years, who's well-respected, I want you to paint over a mid-journey painting. Oh, and also you get half your pay. Um, artists in general do not have the same kind of union representation as for example, the writers do or the actors do, at least in the industry. We have some union here and there, but not in that same aspect. So we don't get to fight in the same way that other you know, disciplines do. We are massively impacted. That's not even, and that's just on the concept art side. And the illustration side, publishers who normally are renowned to be centers for artists have been publishing like AI generated covers. That's the work of an artist right there that could have easily fed them for like a month or so. And so we are already impacted. This isn't a hypothetical for us. Now, in terms of where I see this going, let's say nothing is done. Let's say copyright laws are now like don't matter because tech says you know they don't matter um where i see is a complete decimation of any kind of potential job that isn't fine art which fine art doesn't really give you that much it's very difficult that isn't fine art for the art industries meaning illustration jobs you know either completely decimated gone or let you know lessened or gone concept artists lessened or gone you know animation lessened and gone pretty much anything and and this expands past just artists this expands into writing this expands into acting music editing bfx entire crews of people gone and so what that means for the arts what that realistically means if left to its own devices is a future in which you can only be an artist if you come from wealth that's it. And we're back to the way we used to be, you know, back in like right, yeah, Victorian yeah. era. Yeah. You yeah. can take internships and you don't really need revenue. So you yeah. see this and maybe I'm putting words into your mouth. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, Carla. Sure. For you, for your community, this this could be an extinction event. It is. This is existential. I mean, you, <laughs> whenever I see pictures of myself in the Senate, I'm I'm in awe and a little out of my element. I do not want to, I did not want to be there. I do not want to do this. I generally don't. I, my, yeah, you were there. Here's, we have a, for people watching here, we have a yeah. photo of Carla at the Senate, which isn't part of your job title normally, right? <laughs> this is not. <laughs> I do not want that. No, but it's my happy place. What I love to do more than anything is just, do my work. I love to paint. I love to offer visual solutions. I love to paint for myself. It's such a thing that's been such a part of me. I've trained my whole life for it. That's what I want to do. I don't, I love talking to you. I love talking to people, but I wish we were talking about art and work and, and other things outside of this existential thing 
that is so exploitative and is already impacting us now. I'd rather talk about anything else but that, but I have to because I just, I do not see a future for myself in this industry anymore if this continues to happen. I do not see a future for people who are starting out. I don't even, we have like some of our biggest veterans struggling for work right now. And of course, there's a lot of myriad of reasons to why, but generative AI is undoubtedly one of them. Just yeah, to give you- Sam, just, uh, Sam Altman, I think recognizes that, although he oh, yeah. probably wants to have his cake and eat it. Oh yeah. It's a huge subject. And in many ways, I think you're on the front lines in the same way as photographers are on the front lines of the first yeah. wave of internet. What Silicon Valley people call um, uh, disruption, which is, of course, for many creatives, uh, <laughs> uh, an extinction event. Finally, uh, Carla, you're fighting this out in court. Neither of us are lawyers, but certainly there, <laughs> there are legal issues and political issues. What about technological issues? Um, yes. I, I know that you're sympathetic to uh, something, uh, 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 what we call a, a new data poisoning tool. Tell us about this and the kinds of technology solutions that we might be able to find that can actually, quote unquote, and this is what uh, one review said, fight back against generative AI. Yeah. So I worked with the University of Chicago to develop an earlier tool from that one that you were just posting, because that's Nightshade. That's a different one, but an earlier tool called Glaze. And Glaze is basically utilizing adversarial machine learning to help protect artists' work from training via generative AI. So like, let's say um, someone wants to say, hey, I want to take more of Carla's work and use it to train you know, my model even more. If my work is glazed, it basically, you know, it adds like a layer of noise on top of my image that then the machine learning model sees as something completely different. It doesn't see my work. So it'll generate something completely different or generate noise as opposed to generating something that looks like my work because the training data itself, my work is coded with that glaze. The latest development to that, which the team has done, I, I haven't been much of a part of that one just because of set litigation. Um, but the latest one is called Nightshade, and it takes that concept a step further. Versus Glaze used to just protect your work alone. And Nightshade um, basically coats the image with a poison that can poison whole categories. So for example, if a image of a dog glaze, or sorry, of a cat glazed with, you know, nightshade is digested by a model that model when trying to you know generate a cat will now generate a dog and it only requires about 50 to 100 or so of those images to be ingested by those models which is incredible because in order for any model to function you need millions if not upon billions of images um and so the team itself is wildly like if you see them online they're shocked at the results that they've gotten because if you have enough of those night shaded you know images uh it can really break some of those models and it's one of those things where it's just like you know 
personally, again, because I'm a part of litigation, I can't jump into it too much. But I will say that it could be a great deterrent for these companies to just arbitrarily take images from the internet, works from the internet that don't belong to them, and maybe perhaps be pushed to actually ask permission. So it could change the dynamics of this quite wildly if it goes as the team hopes it goes. Wild. <laughs>